We should get this thing started. We uh, are in Colossians, and uh, we've been there for a little bit, and uh, Paul is thanking the Lord. (laughs) Got it? (laughs) Colossians is basically about the preeminence of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. The preeminence of Christ. That is what Colossians is all the way through. And uh, Christ is ever-present in every book of the Bible, isn't He? Colossians, that is very true. And uh, Paul is talking about how thankful he is for these people in Colossae who had become Christians. They were pagans before, became Christians because of the uh, ministry of Paul to Epaphras. Epaphras takes it to his hometown in Colossae, spreads it amongst his family and friends and neighbors, and it spreads out. They have a church. And Paul is really thrilled about it, and he prays for them. And that's really what a church does. And of course, on your outline, is this is really part two. It's the same thing that we used a couple weeks ago. It's called prayer for the church. Hello, hello. I got the microphone, but I don't have it on. <laughs> okay, is that a little better? Okay. <laughs> Blow your ears away now. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you belt up. <laughs> okay, so. Paul says he's really thankful for them and he uh, prays prayer. Of course, this is called prayer for the church, part two. And uh, our mission is tonight is to start from about where we left off and go through about verse 14, if possible, Lord willing. And as we uh, left off with, we'll start at verse 9. For this reason, there's a reason, it's like therefore, for this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. So it's a constant prayer that Paul had for them, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So there is knowledge, that means to know, and it's not uh, the Gnostic knowledge, but it's knowledge about who God is, and that's really the, the true knowledge. So, uh, and he wants them to know God's will. Isn't that one of the greatest things that we can learn, right? To know what is God's will. Of course, we went through that quite a bit, and it's revealed in the Word of God, ultimately. And then he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we would have wisdom, not only knowledge, but know how to use it in our lives. That's what wisdom deals with there. Uh, It's ability to collect biblical principles and put them into our lives understanding is a mind just saturated with the Word of God, comprehending uh, the greatest principles there is, and taking those into situations in our lives. So when different situations come up, we will know how to live through that and work through it, glorify God in it. So we have wisdom, then we have our walk. And that's what we uh, ended with last week. The reason that you have knowledge of His will and wisdom and understanding is that you would walk. So you have knowledge, 
You have wisdom. It's here in the head. And then you walk it. What does that mean? To live it out, right? To walk it. To live it. It's life. In a manner worthy of the Lord. Something that would glorify God. Uh, Christian's walk is a pattern. It's daily conduct. So that's that's what Paul's prayer is. Not that you just know about the Bible, but you would live it, right? So, what we do now is we are getting ready. Start where we had left off last time. It's to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. That's where we'll be starting tonight and on through. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we uh, look to You for Your guidance and Your wisdom and Your understanding for us that we would learn what Your will is, that Your truth is, that we'd be able to walk it, to, to live it, so that would bring glory to You, that would be worthy, um, a worthy walk, that, that would please You. And that's why we live. That's the reason that we exist, to please You in all respects. And so this book is telling us how to do it. By Your Spirit, help us, Lord, to walk it. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, first phrase. We're breaking these down almost word by word here, phrase by phrase. Bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, bearing fruit. So, we talked about a walk last time. This is a fruitful walk. You want to have a walk that's fruitful. Um, Jesus taught the disciples for how long? Three years, right? He taught them really how to bear fruit. Fruit is the product of righteousness. If you, when you become a Christian, you inherit what? Christ's righteousness. So every Christian has fruit. Every Christian. There is no such thing as a Christian who has no fruit. If he has no fruit, then what is he? He's a non-Christian. Every Christian has it. It's just uh, There are New Testament passages, I think, that could kind of help clarify us a little bit more about what fruit is. And there's, it's kind of multifaceted. Uh, go to John 15:8, and here's why I can say all Christians will have fruit. 15:8. Now Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I'm in verse 5 actually, and I in him, he bears much fruit. So there it is right there. There's a fact. Anybody who is a Christian is one who is abiding in Christ. Or it's the picture of the tree. And you're the branch in that tree. He's the vine. You are the branch. You abide in him or you what? You live in him or you uh, uh, stick around in him. You know, you're, you're part of it. So bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and he dries up. They gather them and cast them up in the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you, what? Bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there is the fruit that's in the tree and he tells us to bear much fruit not just a little fruit you might have a little bit of fruit there but he wants us to bear much fruit 
So let's go to Romans 1.13. Here's another kind of fruit. Paul's writing to the Romans. Can't wait to really see them someday because he wants to go there and do what? Get some fruit. <laughs> I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been presented, prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. What kind of fruit are we talking about there? People are converts. Peaches, yeah. apples. Yeah. So, you know, he's talking about being able to bear and to be able to teach them and you know, see them grow. But he'd love to see more people come to Christ because of his ministry and everybody else's ministry. That's fruit there, isn't it? So, uh, again, it's part of the fruit. When you become a Christian, you're in Christ, you have fruit. We're to bear much more fruit as we walk in it. So, in Romans 7, 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to Him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might, what? Bear fruit for God. You ever notice that? Throughout Scripture, bearing fruit for God. That's, you know, we, we die to the law. We are alive to Christ because of His resurrection. And we raise from the dead so that we bear fruit for God. So we're just not there as trees that are blank, that are just, just have leaves or dead leaves, but it's life, fruit. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Bear much fruit in our walk. 16, 15. Now, urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. Ah, oh, what does that mean? Yeah, right. So, uh, uh, the, so the first fruits would be. Uh, First converts, yeah, the first believers in in Corinth, very first ones who uh, brought to Christ, they were the first fruits. So that's kind of like what uh, Paul was talking about in uh, Romans when we said that he wanted to come there so that you know he'd be able to see fruit. So here it is, there, the first fruits of Achaia. Uh, Jesus Christ was the first fruit. If you have first fruits, what do you have after that? Yeah. And that's us, right? So people are fruit in that sense, converts. Go to Hebrews 13. So Paul wants them to bear much fruit. We've seen a lot of passages where he writes about fruit. So the Hebrew writer, who we don't know really who that is for that writer, for that book, He says something that's comparable. Through Him then, Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, what is it? What's a sacrifice of praise to God? The fruit of lips 
What does it do? Gives thanks to His name. So, how do you praise God? With our lips, right? When, today, right here, right now what we're doing, we're praising God, right? With our lips. So, when we worship, when we sing, uh, we pray, we fellowship with each other. What are we doing? We are... uh, Having the fruit of our lips go out and giving thanks to God, really speaking about Him. That's fruit. Back up one chapter, verse 11. Chapter 12, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So that's what it brings. He'll use it to make it grow out and shine. So that's a few things about a fruitful walk. Right? So it involves quite a few different things, but that's what Paul prays for. That they would have a very fruitful walk. People, uh, if they look at a tree and the fruit's not there, they're not... Uh, not really overwhelmed by it, are they? Build artificial fruit. Yeah. The ones that just sticking on there. Stay on there and they never change. It doesn't, it's not real, right? Okay, go back to Colossians. So, we said, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So the walk is the word. We want to please God. So, here's how we do it. Bearing fruit in every good work. Whatever we do, bearing fruit in it. And then the next one is increasing in the knowledge of God. So our walk is increasing. We're bearing fruit and we're to keep increasing. You know, it's not like we get to a certain level and go, ah, that's it. I'm there now. (laughs) We are so far from it. We are so far from it. We need to keep increasing. Get old, huh? So, as we walk with God, we get to know Him better. Study the Scripture, go into it deeper and deeper. You get to really know Him. You know, this is, that's what eternal life is, what? To know Him. So, we just don't want to know, hey, Jesus saved me and that's all I need to know. And I think a lot of people like it just like that. Then I have to question are they really believers? Because all eternal life is about knowing God even better and better and more and more. Just keep increasing. So as we walk with Him, and some of those really tough trails that He gives us, right? But we get to know Him better and better. Knowledge of God is crucial. If you know somebody, you want to get to know them better, right? It's crucial in our, in our walk, just having spiritual growth. To love God's Word is, I think, the first mark of Christian growth. To love it, to seek it. It's like a baby after the pure milk of the Word, right? First Peter 2.2. That's where that says that, I think. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It starts off in verse 1. Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, 
long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it, why? You may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, qualifies it there, you have to taste the kindness of the Lord, boy, you can have that desire for the milk of the Word. Newborn babies. Milk. What do they do? They basically do a couple of things or so, right? Cry. (laughs) And eat. Use the bathroom, right? That's basically about it. They but that milk, that's they're after it. So it is. So it is with us. Go very long without it. Get thirsty, don't you? Second Peter three eighteen. Second Peter three eighteen. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, when you grow physically, you know, from a baby to child to an adult, you know, you, you can see that physically. Spiritually, you can't see that physical stature, but you can see the spiritual aspects that are growing in people's lives, though, can't you? You know, how they uh, share the Word of God or share how God's working in their lives, right? Second Thessalonians 1.3 Here's growth right here. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. It's only fitting to give thanks because your faith is greatly enlarged. This is to Thessalonians. Their faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each of you toward one another grows even greater. There we go. Just a constant growing, even more and more increasing shouldn't stop, should it? It just keeps going. It should get better. It should get better. Better. Back to Colossians. Okay. Breaking me down each one of these phrases here. We started with a fruitful walk, increasing in the walk, and knowing God. And the next word is, in verse 11, first word, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Okay, that's a mouthful right there. Here he's saying strengthen, that's a power word, with power according to His glorious might. Christianity is powerful. A lot of people say Christians are weak. It's the greatest strength that we could ever have. It's all Him, isn't it? It's according to... His power. So, strengthen with all power. Word there, strengthen. You'll never guess what that word is. It is. It's dynamite. It's dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. So, the word strengthen is dynamite. Continuous power. God doesn't give us a little spiritual boost and then we run out of it. It doesn't just leave us on our own. We're always strengthened. Which life can be a 
a life of pressures. But we're always strengthened, he says here. Uh, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The word there for might is kratos, which is uh, strength in action. Strength that is manifested. So you have the word strengthen, this dynamite that's underneath, and then it just goes off and it's in his might. Manifested power, strength in action. Look in Ephesians 3.16. Here's a prayer that He would grant you, give to you, according to the riches of His glory. You notice that? It's according to His power. It's according to His what? His glory. And what's the next phrase? To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. So again, we have that word strengthen and power together. So, the word strengthen is not necessarily talking about um, actual muscle. It's talking about like, to be strong in like, the persecution, or like, being strong in like your faith in Him. So when people come and try to put out the Word of God within you, the Spirit of God will strengthen you to like Right, it's all this is all spiritual. That and the inner man, as it says here in our Ephesians passage, which makes it clear there, uh, as you say that, where he says, "Strengthen with power through His Spirit in the inner man." Well, so you know. I'd say it's the awareness of that much more the Holy Spirit shows you again and again that God is the most powerful thing around. Right. Yeah. He, it's, it's a reoccurring, reenduring of that what the Holy Spirit does to you. He keeps strengthening your inner thinking to prove you over and over again that that's the only you know, truth that there is. Right. Part of that would be the strength, the power, to say what you know. Right. To bear fruit. Right. I think of the Apostle Paul when he says that, you know, when he writes his letters, he writes them with power. Right. And then he presents himself, he looks weak. Yeah. Like he looks, he looks weak, but he's not because he's got the strength of the world. That's I'm thinking like when the church is persecuted, it's not our physical strength that keeps us believing. It's the strength of God that powers us to continue on believing. Yep. That's it. When when we are weak, he is strong. When we realize that in our own power we're nothing. But with his power, we have all the power to live this life. Some of us have had some of the hardest trials in our life, maybe within last year or two years or five years or whatever. You guys, you know, it doesn't take you very long to think of some of the things you've gone through. And without Christ and His power, how would you have been able to get through it? How would I be able to get through stuff that I've, I've dealt with? 
and I realized, wow, that wasn't me. You know, that to, to deal with things that are just almost impossible. You know, how can I get through this? And to know that all is well, even though it's definitely a big change or whatever, but the Lord is still getting you through that. that and that's that's a that's a power that's beyond any words that we can put forth. I often wonder how people that are not Christians make it through things like that. Yeah. But that's where depression and anxiety and self-medication, bitterness and self-medication and alcohol and all those things that yeah. And they'll try to substitute everything that they can possibly do that to escape what they're dealing with. And it's not it, it might do it for an hour or two, but it doesn't last, does it? And his is limitless. It's always a, and that's not to say that we're not going to, you know, go through some depressing times, even when we know that. But yet we still know if somebody were to ask us, Yeah, but he's getting you through, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's not an easy life, is it, sometimes? Yeah, so that's that strength inside, isn't it? That's what people, you know, they, they can't see that, but they can definitely see fruit that's coming out of you and how you're able to respond to this. Go to Acts 1.8. I think you guys were almost alluding to this right here just a while ago. said that it's... Uh, but you will receive power. This is to the apostles. When Jesus says, you know, after He's resurrected, and He's getting ready to be taken up, ascended, and gone from their presence physically. But He's not leaving without the power of God's Spirit. Since you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my, look at this, witnesses both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You know what? It's true. It happened. What they do? Strength so much inside, and because of the Holy Spirit, they were able to give truth to people, and their lives changed. Which is really amazing when you look at what happened at the crucifixion. Yeah, they were running, weren't they? They all left. Exactly. That was weak, wasn't it? That's a weak person. That's what we are. I like how you power and strength are two different things. When they receive the power, they're able to cast out demons and perform miracles and heal. And I feel like that's a part of bearing the fruit. Because people see, like, they see that they hear the words and then they see the action. And so then they believe. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's pretty awesome. That presence there of the Holy Spirit is what causes that. Limitless. Absolutely limitless. It never runs out. You know, our batteries to be charged up and they finally are just, they just go dead. You know? I don't have any power left in them anymore. You know, we're always charging up our phones, aren't we? Well, what's that? Should have the energizer. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give you another couple of weeks. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the energizer. Yeah. He is the energizer. Back to Colossians. Boy, Paul is saying a prayer, isn't he? Wouldn't you like for everybody to be saying this prayer for you? <laughs> well, the next one is, and by the way, this power and strengthen is according to His glorious might. Remember, in the beginning, God created. That's powerful. And then He has the power to resurrect Christ has the power to do anything He wants. He's a Father and He gives us all the power that we need to live in this life. Somebody has compared it to having a car in the garage. Tony, you know a lot more about cars than I do. What's what's one of the most luxurious, powerful cars that everybody would love to have? What's one of the, at the top? Okay, a Bugatti? Alright. Now, imagine that sitting in your garage. And all it ever does is just sit there. If nobody gets in it, or if you get in it, but you don't turn the key, how much power does that thing have? A lot of power? How about how about 800 horsepower? <laughs> anyway... How much? Seven hundred horsepower. That's pretty powerful, a Shelby. So until we make use of that though, we can be Christians and not turn the key on. The ignition. To ignite it, you know, I mean, we've got to, we've got to be able to get in there, turn it on, get it going to, to drive that thing. Otherwise, it's really not any good. No. It's going to look good. Mm-hmm. What use is it? It just sits there. Some people do buy cars like that, and that's all they do. They put them in the garage, and they, they, they look good for a long time. Sit. That's a good analogy. You know what you just said, don't you? The worst thing that a Christian can do is not have, have, have ourselves ignited. Just kind of be there, right? Yeah. Well, like that's the, a good point. I like the point of his, his glorious might. Because to me, that's, that's security. Mm-hmm. It's his. But, yeah, because again, it's not a thought of, of us, but it is of his power through us that. We could be physically sick or, or getting ready to die or whatever. And do you know what? We can be very, very powerful because the Spirit of God lives in us. And we don't really die. Body might, but we're talking spiritual power here. Okay. It's for the uh, attaining of all steadfastness. Steadfastness. For attaining steadfastness. The word there is hupomone. Do you believe? Yeah. Hupomone. Uh, 
That's patient. Uh, to endure, to be steadfast, that's the thought. It's, uh, it's a military term. It means to hold one's position in battle. To hold your position. So when you have that strength and your power, it attains the position of being able to hold it. You hold a position long enough, you're going to win your battle. It's being uh, circumstances. Being patient in those horrible circumstances that are all around us. And just being patient there. Uh, Hebrews 12.1 Oh, I like this one. After the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, very first verse, chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and you know Moses and all those guys, let us lay aside, us also, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with, what's the word there? Endurance. Endurance. The race that is set before us. You have a race that God gave you. And it's set just for you in your, your life. Nobody else but you. We all have each our own race there that He has set before us. So the word there is dealing with uh, circumstances. They can become difficult. He says, don't let the sin entangle you. Keep running. It is a marathon. Keep running. It's endurance. It's not a 100-yard, 100-meter dash. It's a marathon. Endurance. This race that we're given. It cannot quit. Too many Christians quit when the circumstances become difficult. How many times have we seen it? Over and over and over. It's flopped right on the track. Well, we know God doesn't do it our way. No. He so never when has. we're in that race and we're looking for help, we get help. It just isn't what we're looking for. We're not relief. Yeah. Maybe not relief yeah. from the race. That's right. We don't get the jug of water. We get a kick in the butt. This is the Christian life, isn't it? What? You thought Very true. C.H. Spurgeon said this. Catch this. By perseverance, this endurance here, the snail reached the ark. Uh, <laughs> I thought the bird might have picked it up. <laughs> Had to get a little bit uh, about the, the ark in there again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think he needs to write it. Okay, attaining of all steadfastness, or that 
endurance that we talked about, the next word is related to it, and patience, patience, boy, this is an important characteristic of a maturing Christian. Some people become Christians and they expect to be super Christian the next day, the next week. It doesn't work that way. It takes a lifetime. Well, I expected, when I figured it out and I became a Christian, I expected that when I said something, everybody else was going to be a Christian too. Just like that. Why wouldn't they? It didn't work, did it? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Talk about patience. I don't see it. Really? I don't see it happening. You idiots. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the tough part for me. Yep. The word there for patience is macrothumia. I like to think of uh, macro, you know, like being what? It's big, right? Long. Thumia is dealing with, uh, I guess you could say it's the idea of, of being patient, but it's like a fuse. I've always thought of macrothumia as like a long fuse. <laughs> thinking of 4th of July, right? A long fuse. You don't blow up like a short fuse would. You ever heard of somebody with a short fuse? Yeah. <laughs> but you may eventually. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> At least it was a long time. <laughs> That's right, it sure can. We can become short fused real quick. <laughs> Galatians 5.22 We haven't gone there yet, but it's kind of related to this whole thing. This is the Christian life, what we're talking about tonight. Christian life. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about fruit already, right? This, this is fruit. This is the biggest kind of fruit, I think. It's love, joy, peace. What's the word? Patience. It's a fruit, being patient, uh, really with people. You know, endurance is about the circumstances. So endurance, when we were on that word, that's hubomone, is enduring no matter what the circumstance is. Patience is dealing with who? Other people. There's a fruit of the Spirit. It's being able to be patient with people. We know about circumstances, but people, that's what a mature Christian is, to be able to be patient with people. Patient with people. So, through the Spirit is a lot like what we're talking about here. These are the things that Paul is saying, I want you to grow, and here's how you do it. See, all these things that if you do this, boom, it's one after the other, just fall in line right into place. And you know what? Here is how you get joy. Because he says, for the attaining of all steadfastness, uh, that's endurance. And patience, which is self-restraint, opposite of revenge, patient with people. Then he says the word joyfulness, or joyously. God's power is evidenced in lives that endure and also have patience. And patience and joy are connected. When circumstances are difficult, 
we should be able to put on display a joyful endurance. When people are difficult, we should exhibit joyful patience. Circumstances, we should have joyful endurance. People, we should have joyful patience. This is whenever somebody is growing in Christ. So joy is independent of the circumstances, independent of people. So we can endure trials joyfully when we know God's truth. So, that is number two on your outline. The very first one we covered a couple weeks ago is prayer for knowledge. This is a prayer for godly character, what we just looked at. Now we look at a, a prayer of thankfulness as he finishes up on this now. What a prayer. Is this a powerful prayer? Tell you what. This week. Look look out across the room here. See who they are. Pick one of them each day. Do about 1.1 each day. Might do two one day and maybe uh, two another day. But pray this prayer for them. Just think, that person. Think it's a good idea. What do you guys think? Think it's good? Let's do that. So you'll be praying for everyone that's in, in this room. Let's, so we'll start real easy. All you have to do is remember the people are in this room. Huh? <laughs> Just remember where you're sitting. <laughs> no. It's to the Father. Because in verse 12 it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Look at this. I have no qualifications, but the Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, that's powerful. Thankfulness is a mark of God's power in our lives. If we realize that I have the power that God wants me to have, I will thank Him, right? Blessings of life. Man, tell you what, they come from His bounty. What a bountiful hand. It's never ending. And thankfulness here, you know what the word is for that? Giving thanks. Eucharistos. Or we've heard the a word in a lot of churches they'll use the Eucharist. It uh, is good. You is good. And uh, charis is grace. It's good grace. It's kind of the idea. Uh, and that's that it means thankful. You know, when have you ever heard of that when people would pray they say sometimes uh won't you say grace? They're really saying thanks, aren't they? Really. It's giving thanks to the Father because of all of this right here that 
He will give to you. Gave us an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 Inheritance. That's right. It's too good to be true. Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, predetermined, according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. We've obtained an inheritance. Inheritance of God makes me think Yeah. Um, look at verse three of Second Peter one. Second Peter one three. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. How much? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. How to live it out. Through the true knowledge of Him. You see, you know, it's like what Paul said in Colossians. As Peter saying this. It's about knowing God who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us, look at this, His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's amazing. The uh, very nature of God we partake with. Not that we're God, but His own um, concept, you know, of, of, of His salvation and everything that pertains to eternal life and godliness. That's what it gives us. So, we have an inheritance. He qualified us. He authorizes it. It's eternal life. It's the earth. It's promises of God. It's eternal joy. It's eternal pleasure. It's eternal delight. It's eternal worship. Eternal service. Eternal bliss. Eternal everything. Eternal perfection. Eternal righteousness. Boy. Now, He's given all of that to unqualified people. (laughs) That He qualified us. It's because God determined it and Ephesians 1.11 said that He predestined us. And He gives glory to Himself. He receives the glory when we give thanks. So even when you just say thanks at the table, you're eating food, you know where it came from. You know really where it came from, right? And you just say, thanks Lord for giving us this. Did you know He just got glory? So, go back to Colossians. Have you noticed how this it's like a sentence that just keeps building up and building up and building up? 
you know, now he said inheritance. It's qualified us. The inheritance of the rest of the saints. And then in verse 13, 4, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. He rescued us. He delivered us. We were drawn out of Satan's hands. We were drawn out of death's hands. We were drawn out of hell. And He transferred us from being unqualified to being qualified by His grace and by His goodness. We were in the domain of darkness. Romans 5 says that He loved us when we were what? Sinners. He loved us when we were sinners. And He pulled us out of that. He delivered us. He rescued us from danger and the sinful position we were in and where we were headed. And then it says He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we were in absolute darkness. Evil. Wickedness. Delivered us out of that. Transferred us. That's to, you know, And it takes on the word of deporting a whole population from one country into another. Like the people of Israel. The ones who were left whenever they were just blasted away by Babylonians. And whoever was left were taken captivity to Babylon. Like Daniel was one of those. Many others. They were So that's the idea of transferring. Uh, he transferred us to the kingdom. It means we were deported. A population that's deported from one country into another. It's pretty amazing. You've been deported into a kingdom of God. A kingdom of light of His beloved Son transferred. So we're victors over darkness. Deported into the kingdom. Now, in whom we have redemption. Have you noticed some big words? This is a great word study, isn't it, Abel? All these power words and inheritance and rescue and transfer and now redemption. It's uh, apolutrosin, uh, lutros, uh It means to uh, to buy out of slavery, to to uh, to set to set one free. That's the idea there. So we were uh, set free because there was a purchase made. Purchase Christ made for us. So we were in the slave market. It's like he bought us there. That's what redeem is, you know. This means to release a prisoner because there's a payment of a ransom. Jesus is the one who met the demand of the holy law, and the ransom was paid at the cross. So we have redemption. That's a great word, isn't it? One last one the forgiveness of sins. It means to cancel a debt. The debt was there. We could never pay for it. <laughs> Struck it out. You ever had anybody do that? Say, don't worry about it. You owe me nothing. It's yours. 
somewhere. Somebody's done something like that. It means to send away. I think of as far as the east is from the west, he's cast all our transgressions away. Gone. Send away. Every debt was canceled. Kept being enslaved again. That's the idea of redeem. You know, that's a, that's a power word there because if you've been bought by God, do you think He's just going to let you go? And to know that the sins are taken care of. So, we need to desire to have more knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that we would have a worthy, fruitful, strong, enduring walk giving thanks to God the Father who took unqualified people and qualified them even though they were undeserving and unholy, slaves to sin, in the dark. Why would He do that? Did it so that He'd be thanked for it. So that He'd be given glory and He'd be praised for it. You know what? In a real sense, purpose for redemption is thanksgiving. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for delivering us, for rescuing us. And all that involves that mighty deed that You did, rescuing us from the fall, from sin, from death, from hell, from Satan, from all of our enemies. You have rescued us. You delivered us, redeemed us, You qualified us redeem the unredeemable. You have forgiven the unforgivable. You've made the unholy holy. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank You. That was a big text that we took on. Thank you guys. That's a powerful, powerful prayer. Remember, pick out these individuals and pray for them the rest of the week. And then when you see them, say, hey, you know what? I prayed for you. You want to know what I prayed for you? It was Colossians 1. 